This morning, I, I wish to start uh, this morning's sermon uh, with this text from Psalm 139. Psalm 139, and we will read together uh, verses 1 through 12. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 12. And let us read what it says there from God's holy word. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall uphold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as if the day, for darkness is as light with you. Let us pray this morning together. Lord God, we come before you because we must. How arrogant, how foolish, how unwise would we be to feel as if though we could come before you, not in dependence upon you. Be with us this morning as we come. Lord, be with your word. Help your word to preach and to speak to us in ways that man's words cannot. But Lord, we also pray that you would be with the message this morning. Lord, we pray that you'd give it power, Lord God, as it were, because of your word. Convict the heart to bring joy and encouragement to those who walk as your servants here on earth. Lord, we need you. We're desperate for more of you. That is why we pray. Be with us, Lord God, as we are here this morning to worship together. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. This morning, we're continuing on in our, our, our series on the attributes of God. And this morning is God is incomprehensible. You're probably thinking to yourself, the only thing incomprehensible is how much water goes in that jug. I need that water sometimes. I had chewing gum and I had to do something with it, all right? So there it is. Bam, I'm, I'm ready now. So hopefully that will take care of itself. Hey, um, this morning, God is incomprehensible. You can put that if you want to the side of that. In that title, God is incomprehensible, you could put this if you'd like. He is the unknowable, stop, God is the unknowable, knowable. Let me say it one more time. God is the unknowable, knowable. This morning, as I start off this uh, sermon Uh, We read Psalm 139, 1 through 12. And let me tell you one of the things that stand out to me in this text. We're going to be at several places in Scripture as we're continually going through that that, um, series. Next week is the conclusion to the uh, the attributes of God, okay? But this morning, there's a couple things that stand out to me as I look at this text. Uh, A couple things. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and know me. 
And, and the funny thing is, that's in verse 1, and we see here that when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. From far off, Lord God, you know everything I'm about to do. You know, when I rise, when I wake, when I sit, when I go, you know it from afar. goes on to say, you discern my thoughts from afar. Verse 3, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Okay, stop. The psalmist says of God, you know me. You see me, you watch me, you understand me. If you, if, you, if you need to know that he understands, verse 4, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in. You, God, you hem me in. Behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Notice the psalmist does not say, I hem you in, O God, and I lay my hand upon you. The psalmist knows no such aspect in regards to God and man. Six, such knowledge, this is the important part. This is, what, this is what I really want to spring off of as we continue to go forward in this attribute this morning. Look at verse six. You, hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Verse six. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And then he goes on to say, where shall he go that God is not already. How high can he go and not find God? God is there. If I go to Sheol, which is the place, if I go to death, guess what? I'm not going to go to a place that you're, you're there. God is in every way present in this reality of the psalmist. This morning, I want you to know, I'm going to scoot over a little bit here, I'll put my water bottle there, and I'm going to tell you, you want to know what today's message is brought to you by, Today's message is brought to you by Box. And I hope I don't get in trouble for, it's a Target box. I don't know if you noticed that. I don't know if I get in trouble for that copyright stuff online. Please forgive me, it's just a box. All right? But I want you to know something about this box. I want you to see this. This box is the box that was given to you at the time of your birth. Since you entered into this world, every single one of us have a box given or bestowed, or we have. This is every one of you right now. We're going to step through this, and you're going to see this box change. But for now, I need, when we start off in this world, we start off with a box. And Scripture teaches that we can have a true and personal knowledge of God, as we will soon see this morning. However, theologically speaking, to say God is incomprehensible is to say that none of us can comprehend God exhaustively. None of us can experience, or excuse me, this way, know God fully in his completeness and attribute. I submit this morning before us as we meet in this room that this attribute points once again as everything that we've looked at through the series, the grandness, the greatness, the largeness, and the wonder of our God. The original Latin word, which was translated incomprehensible, is the word immensus. Immensus means unmeasurable, it means boundless, and it means incalculable. Incalculable. There you go. My wife tried to, you, you, you corrected me this morning on that, and I tried to fix it, okay? It, it means this. This word, to be incomprehensible, immensus in Latin, it means that if I was to be a, a, a person uh, who makes map, I think choreographer or something like that, that's why I'm forgetting what they're called, but the map maker. If I was to make maps, 
And I was to go out into this world and take down every jot and tittle of every inch and square mile of the earth and to make a map. It's meaning this, that it is a menace. It is, in, it is in impossible to finish that map. In regards to God, for me to map him out and figure him out would be to continually all my life be making a map that cannot be complete. It will not be done. When you look at the word immensus here, this, this, this unmeasurable, I want you to think of a scale. And in other words, if, if here's the scale and God is on this side, it, it always does this with God. God is boom. God here. You cannot find the amount of weight to calculate and put on this, this, this tray to even one, not, not even do this with God. It will never budge. It will not, it never will grow even. But it will not budge. It's immensus. Simply put, God being infinite cannot fit within the framework of the finite, which is us, his creatures. Meaning, our natural inclinations or limitations, may I add, can never contain a complete understanding of the limitless, the immeasurable, and the boundless God. For us, it is, it is all Latin. It is immensus. It's just too immensus. Misunderstanding the doctrine of God's incomprehensibility can lead into two very serious errors. And I want to talk about those really quickly. We'll talk about those two areas, areas and then I've got three points. Two areas, three points, conclusion. That's how it's going to work down, okay? This morning, I want to tell you about those, those serious errors, both of which should be avoided at all costs, specifically and especially for the people of God, the church. Error number one. Error number one is this. When we deny God's incomprehensibility, God now becomes incomprehensible. Many falsely assume we can capture wholly and effectively the measure and the absolute substance of God. He's not incomprehensible. He, 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 he can be known completely and utterly. You can know him today fully in this room. Meaning, we can snatch God, listen, that God is able to be somehow snatched and honestly placed in this box. That this box that we were born with, the box that we kind of came into the world holding and saying, I must, it's a, this must be filled. And let me tell you something, it must be filled with God. We have said in a sense that we can, if we can know outrightly all that there is to know about God, this side of heaven is to say, I have found God, I know God, and I've placed him in here, and he fits. And by the way, God doesn't even overflow. He just, he's in there. And oftentimes, we even have room, we have so much room in this box for God that we actually share the room with other things that we fill it with. God's over here in the corner. He fit just perfectly with all the other stuff that I love. This is the box in which every single one of us were born with. And if we say and deny the incomprehensible nature of our God, that somehow or another, on this side of heaven, we can ex exhaustively know him to say, we're done. Wasn't he awesome? Isn't he good? Let's put him in a box for a rainy day. Let's put him in our pocket for when we need that thing. By the way, let's pray to him when we know that he can, poof, 
do what we need. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Our God will not fit in this box. Our God will not fit in this box. Our God is incomprehensible to the limitations of this box. And, and, and by the way, let me, don't, don't, don't take my word for it. You know, I know whole churches and, whole, and Christian movements are built upon a God who will fit in this box. It is actually popular in some sections of Christianity to teach a God so small that he will fit in this box. But don't take my word. Let's, let's look at what Scripture says of this idea of the incomprehensibility of God. In Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, I want you to see there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's a, a situation between these two passages, and I'll explain those in just a second. The first one is this. Isaiah the prophet says in the Old Testament, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, meaning God's. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Stop. Some of you, you don't listen and you're already reading the second passage and that's okay. But if you're with me, I say stop for a reason. I need you to know that when you look at Isaiah 55, this is speaking to the aspect of the heights of God's knowledge and character and person and being. It says, my ways are higher than your ways. You are men and women of the earth. His way is in heaven. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, which is God's abode, not ours, so is his thoughts more than ours. What you want to know from Isaiah 55 is that it's saying that the incomprehensibility of God is so much higher than you can possibly imagine. But it goes a separate, a different direction as well. If you look with me in that text that's before you, Romans eleven thirty three through 36, and it says there in the text, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways without error. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. What a powerful passage of scripture. All right, this has been good. Let's finish up today and uh, let's go our separate way. Brothers and sisters, listen. Not only is the heights of God, we, can't, we, cannot, we, cannot, we cannot ascend that height, but here's the thing, we cannot hope to even go down into the depths of what is God and all that he is. We as finite individuals cannot do what only the infinite can do. Who of you have been God's counselor? Who of you have given, as we looked the other day, God is self-sufficient. Who of you have given a gift to God that he needed from you? What was the answer? Nothing. That was you. you. You answered early a couple weeks ago. You said nothing. It's nothing. God is self-sufficient. You see, these verses specifically teach that man is far too small to comprehend as to wholly understand the picture of the Godhead, wholly, in its completeness. I've been to a couple countries, several of them, and I can guarantee you I've lived in a couple countries and even though I visited a couple countries and visited several countries, that does not mean that I am an expert on any of them. Brothers and sisters, how many of you watch the 6 o'clock news? None of you? You're liars. I can't even understand my own country. And I've lived here for a long, long time. I'm still trying, I'm scratching my head trying to understand this all. But I have not become an expert on any of those locations that I've traveled. 
No one this side of heaven has ever become an expert as in knowing all things. All things. Sure, we say he's an expert in his field. He's a, she's an expert at this. He's an expert at that. And even then, I have to believe that in regards to what God has created, actually and truly and honestly, let's just be honest, there's no one who's an expert in anything in this room. If you're an expert in anything, it's sinning and slapping God in his face every day we live. That's what you're an expert at. You're an expert that you're really, really good at it, and so am I. I think of this, and even if they are labeled an expert in, in something, it is usually a singular reality, one among many, not with God. God is an expert in all things. Charles Spurgeon has said this, and I have this before you on the screen. Charles Spurgeon said, and I quote, As well might a gnat seek to drink in the ocean as a finite creature to comprehend the eternal God. A God whom we could understand would be no God. If we could grasp him, he could not be infinite. If we could understand him, he could not be divine. John MacArthur has said in regards to this same topic and subject, it is impossible for a lesser creature to understand a more advanced one. How can anything understand something more complex and advanced than itself? For a flea to understand a dog, it would have to be at least as advanced as a dog. For a dog to understand a man, it would have to at least be as advanced as a man. How much greater distance is there between creature and creator? Man can imagine what God might be like, and people have plenty of ideas about him for sure. Almost any, everyone has an opinion as to what God is or is not like, or as to whether he even exists. But man's opinions are irrelevant because they can never be more than speculations. By his own resources, the creature cannot possibly comprehend his creator. This is your box. That's error number one. Error number two says this. Well, since God is incomprehensible, we do not argue that fact. He is incomprehensible. He is large. He is in charge. And he must therefore be utterly unknowable altogether. Oftentimes you think of, I think of the deists who say there is a God. We believe that there's a God. He created all things. He spun the world into existence. He sat back and he said, now I will watch because he's not in the affairs of man. We can't understand him. He's so greater and he's bigger than all this. So we just, we just know that he is and it is what it is. Brothers and sisters, there is a mystery, there is a mysterious dimension of God that we do not know. And yes, it will take what we call in Christianity, faith. But let me tell you something, isn't this good news? It means that God is big enough to be worshipped and big enough for your allegiance. It means that he cannot be contained and he cannot be tied up. He cannot be manipulated and he cannot be made to do what we in our boxes will allow him to do. And I say amen to that. However, we are not left in darkness, brothers and sisters, groping around for a hidden God who is unknowable and aloof as if he does not care. God has revealed himself and this is fundamental to the Christian faith. He is incomprehensible, unknowable, and yet we know that our God is knowable. What I am saying is that the Christian faith, and this might be good news for some of you, 
Other of you don't have one of these anyway, so it won't matter. It's not a check your brain at the door sort of faith. Amen? Christianity is, and this is one of some things that drives me crazy about Christians. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm really going to say this. It drives me crazy about Christians. We, we say uh, science is bad. God is good. The Bible is good. Science is bad. Uh, why is the world like this? Why does this? Uh, because God said so. Is it true? Yes. Why is this? Because, because my preacher said so. Is it true? Don't answer that. Well, because I, I did a, I, 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 look, look, science is not your enemy. You know that as a Christian, right? Science is your best friend because I believe that science constantly points to the existence of a God who is and not a God who is not. Brothers and sisters, listen, math does not belong to those godless. Math belongs to God because he created it. Science is not an enemy. Science is a friend because God created it. It all points to him. Man, my son, this morning, I'm off my notes, Misty. I promise I'll get right back. I promise, I promise, I promise. My son and I were talking about he's going, through, going to school, and they're in this, he's in biology right now, and they're already getting into the area of genus systems and, 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 and uh, fam- familial areas of animal life and all these type of things, and it's evolution that we're into now. And we were getting, talking about this, this this week, and I said, you know, for me personally, I never tell him what he has to think, but for me, it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does for me to believe in the creator God who is. It literally, it, 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 it seems to me so unsensical to believe that nothing created everything. That takes a lot of faith. A lot. Faith that my God says you don't have to practice. We have the faith that is substantive. It is not subjective. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. This is the greatest news I can think of. Our faith in God is objective. It can be held. It can be seen. It can be experienced. It can be known. You say, how can you say such, Kyle? How do we know? Here it is. How does God, how has God revealed himself? Well, let me give you three ways in which God has revealed himself. God has revealed himself through one general revelation. A general, general revelation is what we see, and I'm not going to read it this morning. It's in the area of Romans 1, where it says that all things are created by God, and we see his imprint, his fingerprint in all that has been created. The law of God is written on men's hearts. We have a conscience. Conscience means con, and science means uh, con is with, and science knowledge, with knowledge. So every time man acts and sins in this world, he does it with knowledge. It is interesting if you go to Africa, in some places, in other parts of the world, in South America, they do not have the law of God. They don't have the Ten Commandments. But you know what? Throughout history, they knew that when you killed someone, it was bad. They knew that when you had a wife and someone stole a wife or vice versa, that was bad. Taking another man's goat, they'll get you killed in Indonesia. Where do they have It's written upon their hearts. We have, a God, we have a box for sure, but here's the thing. We have general revelation, and like I said, creation itself, science itself, points to the existence of a God. In order to say God does not exist, we have to just literally close up our minds and say, we can't believe this. We can't think of it this way. Number two, the Bible. It's the revealed word of God. In 1 Timothy 3.16, we said that the word of God is God-breathed, living and active. It is able to teach and to be useful for your rebuking and encouragement and training everyone for, 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 for good works. The word of God is 
alive, brothers and sisters. It's not a dead book, it's a living book. Even today, it breathes in our presence, in our midst. It's a living book. It does not become dumb. It does not become silent. It speaks, and it speaks with the power and the authority of God, backed up with the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons why I love the Protestant Reformation, brothers and sisters, if you didn't know this, Protestant, the word Protestant, has in it the word protest. So the Protestant Reformation was a protest against the Roman Catholic Church. It said, we have a Bible, and we have it in our language, which is ultimately uh, Latin at the time, and you don't understand it, but you can come to us priests, we'll let you know what it means. The Protestant Reformation said, nah, the word of God is what we need, not your interpretations or your opinions. So the Protestant Reformation was all about saying, allow the word of God in people's language to understand it and know it. And you know what started happening when people started reading their Bibles? They started realizing they didn't need the priest anymore. Uh Uh-oh, bad things happening over here. We're We're no longer as powerful as we used to be. Because God's word is where power resides. General revelation, the Bible revealed word of God. Number three, special revelation. And I'm talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm talking about not those situations where we're just kind of sitting in a room and the Holy Spirit hits us and we know things. No, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ability for the Holy Spirit to open blind minds, dead hearts, eyes that cannot see, to be able to take a word like this and read it and go, I don't understand it. And one day you come to a passage, you come to the scripture and you go, now I see. Who created order through God's word, the power of the Holy Spirit, opening our minds to see and understand what is in connection to that word is God's ability, and he does allow us to know him. Jeremiah 9, 23-24. This is a passage that we started off this series with. I have to, it's kind of been all throughout this entire um, series, so i got to say it again because there's something really important here. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, not let the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he, listen, understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Brothers and sisters, listen, this is an objective reality. It's pointed to and it can be known. Knowing God is a very vital and real reality in the Christian faith. And while we cannot understand and know him exhaustively, We can know and understand God intimately. While we cannot and we do not know him exhaustively, we can and we can and we must know him intimately. This is really good news. You see, because when we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, through the power of what we see and we see him, and the power of the the word of God, either read or preached, and by the power of God, whether read or preached, now understood and accepted with all love and adoration. In that moment, this box, it flees. And because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, God gives us a new box. Our box gets bigger as we become believers of Christ Jesus. That box would never have done anyway Uh, Our God cannot be contained in this box. This box is far too small to handle the God of the universe, the God of Scripture. And yet, this is a sad reality. Many people still operate in Christianity in whole churches out of this size box. This box will not do. 
In the gospel of Jesus Christ, God gives us a newer box, a bigger box for us to have ourselves constantly learning and putting what we know about God with inside of the framework of that box. I love it when it says in Colossians 1 that Jesus Christ is the imprint of the invisible God, the, the, the exact nature of God. We can know God in our knowing Jesus Christ. We know God. But I want to give you now three implications. And these don't take very long unless I go off my notes, which I can't promise won't happen. Here it is. Those are the two things you have to be careful with, but let me show you the three implications of why the incomprehensibility of God is so absolutely important to us as Christians. Number one, it is a source of great humility. Number two, it feeds our spiritual walks and our pursuits. Number three, feeds our worship for eternity. Number one, the implication, number one, is it is a source, great source of great humility. Consider his helping us to see and know him in nature, his word, and spirit. But brothers and sisters, listen. While we were enemies of God, while we were blind, while we walked around with the, the, the box of our flesh, walking around seeking to put God, God pieces within it, and even then we said, he fits in the new nature. The power of the Holy Spirit, as we walk as servants of Christ, we have a new box. And that box is a lot bigger than what the used box used to be. But I got news for you, brothers and sisters. Listen to me very, very clearly. This box gets bigger and greater for us to fit God in. But can I go ahead and tell you something you may not know? God will never fit in this box either. We have the capacity to know him this side of heaven and on earth. He's given us the ability to know him intimately. But I've got good news. This is not bad news. The good news is that God, in all his incomprehensibility, will not even fit in this box. Which means a couple things, doesn't it? Number one, it should lead us to great humility. This should humble us as we contemplate how small we are in the presence of God, all by mercy and all by grace, do we even have the ability to have a new nature and a new mind and a new box in which to fit God in. But listen to what Job says. Job 42, 1 through 6. <laughs> I love this because look what happens here at the end. Listen to this. Job is speaking to God. Job says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? He's talking of himself here. Listen, therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. How many of you ever done that? And how many of you ever done that with God? Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Scott, come on, you're playing Christmas music in November. Give me a break. He goes on to say, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know, hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Listen to this. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Here, what Job, Job knows about God makes him, listen, it doesn't make him grow larger. It makes him grow smaller. The more of God that I was able to take, the more of God 
that it just it will not work. It cannot. It will. He cannot be contained here anymore. And now I have God before me here, and He says that as I begin to learn more about who God is in my walk with Christ, I put it here. Bible verses, Bible studies, going on that mission trip, doing this type of thing, whatever it may be, in our walk with Christ, thirty years, three years, three weeks, three days, three minutes. Here it is. The more I learn, the more I put God in this box, the more he starts to fill it up to the brim, the more I realize that I have done nothing for my salvation. I have done nothing to merit God's love, grace, and mercy in my life. It has been given to me as a gift of Almighty God. I will worship him all the days of my life. And yet, it will not be contained in this box. Amen? The goodness of God in Christ Jesus and the gospel the need of every man, woman, and child in this room, there's the good news is that even it will not fit in this box this side of heaven. Which means we will always, until the day we die, be learning. We will always, until the day we die, be looking at a different, like a diamond, when the light comes through it and you go, bling, 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 bling. It constantly has something to give. No, Job says, when I knew with my ear, and now I see you with my, my very own eye, he said, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job grows smaller at the larger view of God he gets. Small sin, small problems, small Jesus, small gospel. Big sins, big problems, big Jesus, big gospel, big grace, big mercy. When God is not seen as exhaustively incomprehensible, what grows in us is a source of pride and arrogance in which hinders true spiritual awe and worship. And yes, even true spiritual understanding, knowing, and growth. Because when God has been contained in this box, we don't go on to bigger and better things to understand that God is much bigger than we ever thought he was before. We need this by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number, that's number one. It humbles us. When we understand well or seek to understand well the incomprehensibility of God. Number two, it feeds our spiritual walks and pursuits this side of heaven and earth. Because God can never be fully known. Those who seek to know God should be deeply humbled in the process. Humbling, it's humbling. Realizing that they will always have more to learn. The appropriate response to God is a heart of wonder and awe in light of his incomprehensible greatness. In other words, what I'm trying to say this morning is this. A lack of growth on our parts. Listen, I'm not trying to be mean. I actually fall prey to this too as a fleshly human being at times. A lack of growth in our spiritual walk is honestly an action and an act of arrogance on our parts. To not grow spiritually is to say with your life, I'm done. I've got all I need of God. I'm good now. I've tasted and found that he was good the taste and yet I need no more if my wife made me something over Thanksgiving dinner and said hey I made this for you it's special it's my new recipe I can't wait she's on the edge of her seat waiting for me to eat it and I go oh that's so good I love it. that's one of my favorite things I've ever eaten man I'll cherish that with me for the rest of my life you want another helping nah nah Nah, it was good, though. I'll cherish that with me the rest of my life. That meant something to me. Mmm. Next Thanksgiving. I made it for you again. Nah, it's okay. It's all right. It's all right. I cherish it in my heart. It was good for me. Brothers and sisters, listen. I've got good news. 
good news. To taste Christ is to never lose the taste of God in your mouth. And to taste Jesus Christ is to constantly long for more and more and more. And by the way, each and every coming Thanksgiving, it gets better and better and better and better. It's supposed to. We say that I've tasted and I've become full. I've tasted. It is good. I don't need any more. It is arrogance on our part to believe that we can't continually grow or need to grow this side of heaven. Our God is not that small. And he will not fit within the framework of that box. And if this box says that, even in our Christian walk, brothers and sisters, let me tell you right now, I got good news. That God, the God of Scripture, the God of Revelation, the God of the, God of, the, God of the Holy Spirit and dwell understanding of who God is, he will not fit in even, yes, this box. And this is good news. See, you have a God box in which to feel. He takes the old box of your making and gives you the new one, mind, heart, and soul, which is made by him. And this side of heaven, cannot, we cannot pick and we cannot pull enough of God to fill it, as been said. We will never reach the brim of that box. This is good news because there is always more of him to discover, interact, and learn. It's a relationship that needs not ever worry about running dry. We are to find joy and love in God. God in Christ Jesus and the gospel, this side of heaven is the movie in which we all bought tickets for and we couldn't wait to see it and literally we do not want it to end. It's the, it's the movie that never ends. It's the vacation that you long for. You look at your watch and you say, I've got two more days left. Oh, I don't want this to stop. Jesus Christ and the gospel, this side of heaven, is the vacation that does not end. It is the relationship of a, a loved one that visits and you do not want them to leave. And this is all of good news. Three, if one is it is a source of great humility, if two, it feeds our spiritual walks and pursuits all the days that we live. He gives us a new box that we long to fill up with Christ, and we do, and we treasure it, but we keep looking in it, and we go, it's not yet full, and I'm 40 years old now, and it's not yet full, and I'm 46 years old right now, and I've done a lot of things this decade for Christ, and it's not full. Oh my gosh, I get more to do for the glory of God and all that he's done for me in the gospel. I'm 60 years old now, and I look into this box, and it is not full amen I'm 80 years old I look in this box and I am in my deathbed and guess what I'll probably die in the next 30 minutes and I look in this box and I say it is still yet not full amen this is good news this is absolute good news because three it feeds our worship for eternity in heaven God's incomprehensibility will no doubt be lessened when the effects of sin no longer ravage our minds and we are most likely, we'll even share in some of the aspects of secrets that God has that we don't this side of heaven. We'll know things more then than we know now. Amen? This is good news. I will pass probably more than likely a math class in heaven where I would not this side of heaven. Don't laugh, it's mean. However, God will always be infinite. Always. Church, can I get an amen to that? God will always be infinite. And we as human beings will always be finite. So he will always be beyond human ability to know exhaustively even, listen to me, in heaven. And this too is good news. The box of our flesh is gone in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get a new box in the power of Christ while we live on this earth. 
And even then when we die in death, that box will be traded in for a new box because we'll have new eyes and new everything in heaven and that box will grow exceedingly greater and bigger. Our box in heaven will be mucho, a lot, big. It will be big, bigger than anything that we've ever comprehended this side of heaven. Apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, even listen, 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 even in the gospel of Jesus Christ, this side of heaven, we'll have a new box in which to feed, fill. Meaning, if you ever wonder whether you might someday grow bored in the age to come, dwelling in unending paradise, this doctrine will rid you of all the, that fear forever. Throughout eternity, there will always be more of God to marvel at, more of His immeasurable grace to see. Yes, while our boxes, they will grow bigger. Even then, God, listen to me, the good news is, even then, God will not fit in your box. Hallelujah is right. For eternity, we never have to worry if we're going to get bored in heaven because we will never tap the, the immensity, the incomprehensibility of our God. And this is good news. What in the world, this side of heaven, teaches such a thing? The Bible. This doctrine should not be leaving you yawning. It should be you, leaving you with goosebumps, brothers and sisters. Even in heaven, you are given a new and bigger box. And praise be to God, even then God is too big to be contained in it. Yes, our God is that great, that splendid, and that vast. The thought of it is incomprehensible. God gives you the gift of himself, church. How well are you at receiving and cherishing this gift? Do you pursue it? Do you seek it out more and more? Are you desperate for greater knowledge and understanding of God this side of heaven? Conclusion. Listen, brothers and sisters. Embrace the mystery. With God, there will always be mystery. Yes, there will always be mystery. And yet, Christianity is not a faith in which you have to check your brain at the door. God says to Isaiah, come, I love this, when he says in Isaiah, come, let us reason together. Reason. The act of one's mind. Practically, for those who have been born of the Spirit, the truth of God's infinite greatness doesn't drive us to despair or even, or even us not wanting to know him. It allures and entices us to gaze all the more on his glory in the reverence of the revealed faith of Jesus, face of Jesus Christ, his son. Colossians, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is to be known about God is to be seen and known in Jesus. Have you put away your boxes? Have you felt as if they are full? Maybe those boxes are simply far too small, humanly speaking. Do not be a fool, brothers and sisters, please. Here, take your God-given, the gospel and the Holy Spirit indwelled, what we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ, boxes, a post man's box, and let us go. That you don't get to hold this one yet. I'm sorry. Did that did, did make you really excited about the big box? You know, everybody wants the big box at Christmas, right? You don't get that one yet. But take the box that is ours today. My question to you is, what are you doing with the box that God's given you in the gospel of Jesus Christ? What are we doing with this box until the day we enter into death and that this one becomes only a frail reality of what we will take one day in heaven?
This doctrine reminds us that we will never graduate beyond our need of the ordinary means of grace in ongoing community in the local church. Despite our titles and theological degrees, I think it's always funny. I'm going to pick on some people, not because I don't have a seminary degree, but I've always thought it was kind of funny. I have a master's of divinity. I don't really. Don't, don't, I, did, I don't. I have friends that have master's of divinity. But can I just go ahead and pop some bubbles? If my friends are listening online, deal with it. No one can ever master God's divinity. And that's why I don't go. That's also a lie. It's because I haven't passed math yet. Even the world-class scholar who has devoted his life to studying Paul's epistle has much to gain from the young elder in his 20s on his first sermon. And I say that again. The arrogance. I think somehow someone beneath me or knowledge or age can't take something from this word and wring it out so much that literally it drips on me in a way that even in my 50 years of following Christ have never actually touched or experienced. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something real quick. Do not sell your Christianity that short. Do not sell the gospel that short. Listen, I'm looking you in the eyes and I'm telling you, please do not sell God's word that short. Why do we preach on Sunday morning and then we go off and talk about it all week long? Because we're trying to take that word and we're trying to wring out as much as we can from it. And even a master's of divinity would do well to learn from someone who does not have one. The Spirit of God reveals the essence of God through the Word of God and there will always be more of Him to behold. Listen, for us all this morning, I think people expect me to have it all together as a Christian leader. But as I get older... I am not a young man and I'm not an old man. I'm just in the middle trying to figure out which way I want to be right now. And it depends on who you ask if I'm young or old. Okay? I know who you are. As I get older, I find myself more aware of my own sin, my own need of forgiveness daily, and how difficult it can be to humble myself before God and others. God will never be known absolutely. But we can know things about him that are absolutely true. So much so that we can be willing to live and to die for those beliefs and the things that we know. God has provided knowledge of himself that is personal, that is relational, and sufficient for truthful, fruitful, joy-filled, faithful living. Church, listen, embrace the mystery. But brothers and sisters, know something. Know something of our God to give to others. Know something of our God to teach our children. Know something of our God to feed our worship and grow our delight in God until the day we take full possession of it in heaven with another box. 1 Peter 2, 1, 2 through 3, and I'll end with this. My grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things. He's granted the power of all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence. You want to know about God? Know his word. You want to know God? Know Christ. You want to know more about God? Get to know the church. These are the means at which God has given us. God has given what we need. And as I started this morning, and we'll come full circle, the, 
the incomprehensibility of God is the reality that all of us Christians in this room can say, hopefully us, God is the unknowable, knowable. And praise be God in the gospel of Jesus Christ that I know him, and better yet, he knows me. And let me not make that personal. Let me make that practical. That in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you may know him, and better yet, that he knows you as well as a child of God. Amen? This morning, church, let's make him known. Not because of what we don't know about God. How well are we at telling people about what we know about God? We're so worried about what we don't know about God. How are we at telling people about what we do know about God? Thank you.